Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Brandon David, as always. Great show this week. We have Scott Goldie of Golden Seed, which is the uh, vertically integrated player out of California. They cultivate, they also have a great introductory product with a terpene-tipped uh, pre-roll. Um, we talk about why the quality of terpenes is way more important than how high the THC uh, percentage is in that product. Um, we also talk about the way that he's been raising money, which is really cool. They have a crowdfunding uh, option open to anybody. The minimum is $100. So you can go on their website and check that out right now if you want to. Uh, he has a great background in real estate. We talk about how those skills have translated to the cannabis industry and why more folks from real estate have made their way into cannabis. Uh, really great episode, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Really nice to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get started just on an easy one. What is Golden Seed? Golden Seed is a, a relatively new uh, cannabis company. We're a cultivator and all the way up to having retail products in the market. Got it. Okay. And you've picked really a couple products to start with. I know the pre-rolls have had some success. Tell us a little bit about that product, if you want. Yeah, my business partner and grower, J.R. Richardson, he's been growing for probably about 40 years. And he's only 50 years old. <laughs> so he's got a lot of experience in the industry and he's fairly into terpenes. And he says the terpenes, and I would tend to agree, are more important than the THC content. Mm. Uh, and so he had the idea of extracting the terpene from the plant and then putting it back on the pre roll. You know, other people may put terpenes from other plants, you know, orange, citrus, but this is really staying with the whole plant concept. And that terpene tip, with it really makes it accentuates the aroma and flavor of the joint so when we went to market with it we competed in a couple of contests early on and we won a high times gold cup and we won another gold cup at hempcon so the product's been received very well yeah that's amazing um i've had them they're they're really unique uh, i mean it's something you have to try to really understand um it's kind of similar to how much better like a full spectrum oil is versus like exactly. a distillate. That's, that's how it feels to me anyway. Um, we're developing the full spectrum oils in the hemp. hemp. We're also in, into hemp and yeah. we're extracting the oils and the terpenes from the hemp and it's a really nice product. Yeah, amazing. How much different is sort of the cost structure there? Is that more expensive to use that process and, and add it? On the extraction? Well, just on the terpene uh, pre-rolls that we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more labor, but we just got a new co-packing relationship. And now that we're doing it with them, and they have more of a miss than dropping a uh, drop on the tip. Mm -hmm. The product's just as good, if not better, because it's a consistent compaction. Uh, and it's pretty affordable. Got it. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, so one of the really interesting things I, I think that we should talk about off the jump is if you're listening to this, you can actually go invest in Golden Seed right now. Um, which is much different than many companies that come on the show. Um, a couple questions about that, but we'll start with why did you go with sort of the crowdfunding regulation A option to that? 
Well, you know, I've been talking about, we have a security council, uh, Kendall Almerico, and we talked to him about doing this earlier on the Napa Valley wine train, and that didn't really work out. And so as we're developing our lifestyle brand, it was kind of a long shot, but I got a hold of him and said, you know, can we do this in cannabis? And because you have to get qualified by the SEC, a federal agency, you know, no one thought you could really do it. Uh, he's done a number of reggae's and he thought we could. So we invested the time and the money and we were qualified at the end of last year to be the first cannabis company uh, in the country to be able to sell to the general public, not only in the United States, but around the world. And we've had an incredible response already. That's incredible. I mean, that's so, that's really cool. Um, both the crowdfunding method in general, but then now it's been applied to cannabis as something that would have been hard to foresee not, not too long ago. Uh, you said the response has been incredible. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, ultimately, are you glad you went this route? Absolutely. We uh, started in January. And as of today, we have almost 1,600 investors mm-hmm. uh, from 49 states. Louisiana won't allow us to sell there. And we're in 22 different countries. And the cool thing about Reg A is that you, if you think about it, you're not only raising capital, uh, but you're also creating brand ambassadors. You know, we probably have eight or 900 people in California and they're out there talking about it. They're telling their friends about it. They're asking their dispensaries about it and they buy your product because they've invested in your company. Mm-hmm. It also allows us, you know, to build a national footprint. And if this ever becomes federally legal, people will have heard about Golden Seed, you know, across the country. And it is also a means of raising capital. I mean, we've raised a significant amount. Got it. Any downsides that you can see so far? No, not really. I mean, it's really one of the reasons it's really been accepted is securitization of investment. You can invest for as little as $100. We've had a hundred dollar investor and a number of them, but we've also had fifty thousand dollar investors. What do, what's the average, if you know? Uh, the average I'd say right now is probably around a thousand eleven hundred. So this is everyday people putting a thousand dollars into a weed company. I mean, this, this is not some fancy investors. Um, that's really really cool to think about. Um, how much contact did they get with you? I mean, I saw the documentation. You have a really cool video. Uh, on the website as well, people can check out. Uh, but do they get to ask you questions? How much of the management team can they sort of interface with? Is that possible? Well, we have one person dedicated to uh, email and phone response. Mm-hmm. But I give a webinar and a conference call every month. Uh-huh. Uh, so I respond to that. And if there's an issue that's significant enough, I'll actually reach out and call people. Uh, we have a newsletter. We we try to keep our investors very informed and really motivated to tell more people about this company. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, let's take a step back a little bit. I mean, you you had a pretty wonderful career before you got into this. We talked about Napa Valley Wine Train. Um, you did a lot of real estate stuff. Uh, why cannabis? Why this company? Well, you know, I had never been in the cannabis world before, personally or professionally, and. I've been in real estate most of my life. And about five years ago, we decided to kind of transition from traditional real estate development to buying companies, operating companies that have cash flow, but also have uh, real estate assets. And the wine train was the first example of that. We purchased that and had 17 parcels of land not required to run the train. Hmm. So we sold some and we're going to develop others as hotels, workforce housing, 
apartments. And that was a really great experience. And then about three years ago, someone approached me with a nursery down in Santa Cruz County. It sells conventional plants. They sell, uh, we sell about 2 million plants a year. If you're in Trader Joe's or Whole Foods at Christmas, they're the grump trees. Mm. Uh, we sold about 200,000 of those last year. Wow. But the key, the key was it had a 20 acre parcel, about 110 acres in total, a 20 acre parcel that qualified under the, the emerging Santa Cruz County ordinance. Ultimately it passed, ultimately we had the right zoning. We had existing greenhouses and you know, we have probably one of the best facilities down here. Mm. Talk about that sort of transition there between what was being grown in those greenhouses before to the transition to, to cannabis today and hemp and hemp. Well, the big, the big difference is that we're completely organic and can't really use that word because it's, it's a federally regulated word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other company was conventional fertilizers, pesticides, and those two worlds can't exist in the same place. So we moved all the plants off the 20 acre parcel and we had to completely cleanse, you know, the greenhouses and start over organically. So it took a while to get off the ground, but the results have been really good. Tell me about some of those results as, as much as you can. Give me a sense of the scale of the business today. Well, right now, uh, it was very hard to get through the regulatory process. And I'm not, it's not unique to us. I hear complaints everywhere. Uh, it took us about 18 months to get our approvals. And that's a lot of capital in the meantime. A lot of people gave up and went back to the black market, but we were very committed to doing this organically and legally. So in February of this year, we finally got our first approval for 135,000 square foot cultivation and nursery. So we started growing, building our mother stock, and we're starting to fill the greenhouse. Uh, we have a potential total entitlement of 440,000 square feet. So it'd be about 10 acres and be one of the largest uh, grows here on the central coast for sure. Mm-hmm. And that approval could be coming as soon as the next month. Wow. In that case, we're going to you know, continue to expand organically and fill up that space. That's awesome. Um, how quickly would you fill out that capacity if it was all filled? Well, we don't want to take or, on additional debt. We don't want to take on additional debt. So we're raising this capital through crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. If that's successful, I mean, the return on a greenhouse investment is very strong. So we want to be, you know, we want to be careful about how fast we grow. People can get in trouble that way. Mm-hmm. So as we build our cash flow, raise the equity, you know, I could see adding probably 100,000 square feet per year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so sounds like you've got the cultivation side well underway. Tell me a little bit about the distribution process here how are you going to select that there's several different models today what what's uh what are your thoughts on that well in southern california we're exclusive to a company called shelf life Mm -hmm. and we had really good response to our product or space is kind of a little bit flaky so we worked through a couple dispenser or distribution companies that didn't really make it Uh, but we found shelf life they're well capitalized they're in a lot of dispensaries and the key for us is that they don't carry a lot of brands. Mm. So I think we're the only light depth greenhouse brand that they carry. So when they're in there talking to dispensaries, you know, it's really good for us. We do have a distribution license, but we would like to move to self-distribution. And we're going to probably be starting that this year here in the Santa Cruz County area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not exclusive in Northern California. So we're, 
you know, we're kind of early on in terms of the amount of flower capacity we have. And so we don't want to overpromise. We're probably about 50 or 60 dispensaries right now. But as we grow our flower, I mean, that's going to expand. Are you also thinking about direct consumer options? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a relationship with a dispensary here in Santa Cruz that's carrying our product. And we're going to start building that as a model and expand it. Got it. Um, as you look ahead, uh, think about the future of the industry. Is the brick and mortar dispensary going to continue to be as important as it is today? No, I don't, I don't think it will. You know, I think this coronavirus has really started to change the dynamic. And I talk to people right now that if they just have a storefront, they could just have, they're just don't have to spend a lot of money on the build out. They have less people working there. In fact, the people that are doing the sales are much higher than they were and their cost of the dispensary is much lower. So I think you'll see delivery, but you'll also see kind of storefront dispensaries and the big glamorous dispensaries that you see now, I don't think will be as prevalent. Well, it's unclear that they ever penciled, that they ever yeah. worked, right? I mean, if you think about MedMen and just that it's endless debt, that model never really worked. You know, um, people talk about that. I mean, there was a lot of capital raised in search of a business. You now we're approaching it. We have an existing business and now we're finally seeking external equity. Mm -hmm. You know, you get an equity partner early on or a lot of debt, they essentially control your company. I mean, you can see the MedMen guys got removed. We, it's very important to us that we control our destiny. Mm -hmm. So part of that destiny includes something that I'm not sure that many people thought was going to be a big deal as it is, but the black market continues to be this huge issue in California. And yes. depending on the data you look at, it's like 60% sold or something like that. Um, how do we continue to deal with that? I mean, as you're setting up this business and saying, okay, well, if I can get X percentage of the California market, but if half is in the black market, how do you rectify that? How do you balance that? I see, you know, the stats I heard last year was about 3 billion legal, which is one of the largest markets in the world, mm -hmm. about 8 billion black market. Mm -hmm. And the thing I see, there's a potential opportunity in that, in that the black market, a lot of it's going out of state. You can get higher prices elsewhere. And the other thing is we get, you know, good compliance and enforcement. Not only will the market in general be growing, but our percentage of the market, I think, should grow. So I think there's two aspects of growth. I mean, obviously, it'd be better for everyone if the black market didn't exist, but that's not realistic, you know, anytime soon. And in terms of enforcement, it doesn't seem like there's enough they can do, right? Like, or, or they're not doing enough today. Like, I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah. it's not, they're not really serious about it. Yeah. And, and why do you think that is? Are they trying to keep this industry sort of like in its lane? Is that, is that the idea? Uh, I, I think two things. I don't think they're totally serious about it. They may not have the staffing or the tax support to, to support it. But secondly, they make it so hard regulatory to get through the process. And it's so expensive. I mean, I had an existing cash flow at this company that got us through, but people give up. I mean, if you take Santa Cruz County, there were 700 people that qualified to get a license. Today, two years later, I think there's 11 that have mm -hmm. been issued. Wow. So people gave up. That's crazy. 
a lot of people gave up or had to give up one, one way or the other. Um, well, besides, besides the regulatory pressure, obviously the taxes, but the other people, the other problem for a lot of people is being able to qualify for the pesticide standards. Mm -hmm. So it's much harder. I mean, that initially I heard that about 50, 60% were failing the pesticide tests. Mm. Now, we're very fortunate in our location, our growing practices. We haven't had that problem at all. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like you've, I mean, there's a reason you're still here and still viable is because you have a lot of experience in every other business or other businesses rather. Um, there's this huge transition from real estate to cannabis, it seems. More and more people that I talk to in this industry are from real estate. Why do you think that those skills uh, translate so well into this business? Well, two things. I think, you know, our business model was to make sure we own our property. You know, people that are leasing space, I think it's really hard more successful they are in short-term leases, the rents are going to go up. Mm -hmm. It was important to us to own, but secondly, to get your approvals, it's really an entitlement process. And in real estate, that's the whole ball game, mm -hmm. getting your properties entitled for development. So as we went through the process with Santa Cruz County, I mean, we actually became kind of the role model for the application process. So I think those skills lend itself really well to, to cannabis. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Um, Talk about a couple other things that do impact your business. Um, we've talked uh, many times on this show about different legalization efforts that could happen. Uh, obviously, there's a full federal legalization possible, but if you back off of that, is a safe banking act or, or something in finance, uh, how helpful would that be to your business? I think it'd be really helpful. You know, in terms of uh, kind of legalization, I think in the short term, it's really advantageous that you can't go across state lines i mean everyone wants to be in california i get approached by out-of-state cultivators that hey can we do a partnership you know everyone's trying to get in this market so we're really able to establish our infrastructure and presence before that's allowed secondly i think where we're located when it does become federally legal we'll have a real provenance of our brand i mean it's kind of like the napa valley cap santa cruz is probably second only to humboldt county in terms of the culture and kind of the history. So I think that's good. I think the federal legalization is actually pretty far off. Even if they were to do it, the regulatory implementation of that's gonna be really, really hard. I mean, California's a mess because they let every jurisdiction do it the way they want it to. Mm -hmm. And there's inconsistencies everywhere. So trying to put that on a federal scale, I think would be really hard. Mm. Yeah. Um... How much political will do you think there is to do this at that point, at this point? And we're in an election year. Um, do you think that a Biden victory means good things for cannabis? I think it's, it's going to be a very gradual process. I mean, there's still a lot of resistance. I think the one thing that really helped the industry is the designation of an essential business during this crisis. Huge. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's really big for our industry. And as long as this thing goes on, it's only going to become more obvious that it's an important part of the economy. Mm -hmm. It's really the only thing that's really doing well right now, other than grocery stores. Yeah, no. Well, I guess maybe like Amazon is still yeah, doing yeah. well. Yeah. Um, how else has Corona changed what you guys are doing? Is there any new practices or any, you know, how has it affected your business? On the positive side, I mean, cannabis, legal cannabis prices are going up. You know, demand is definitely there. 
we did a national survey of you know people's uses why they're using it you know definitely there's it's gone up it's really addressing anxiety uh and you know just making you feel better in a really bad time on the flip side you know i'd say the other Im negative impact is personnel uh you know people who start to feel bad they self-quarantine they're out got to try to replace them you know so you got a lot more turnover and when they're feeling bad, I mean, we have to kind of tell them to go home. Uh, so that part has been a difficult, but otherwise there hasn't been a very big impact. Yeah. Well, the job market's certainly in your favor at the moment anyway, even yeah. if you do need more people. Um, you have a pretty good understanding, this sort of 30,000 foot view that I talk about a lot on this show. How do you stay informed? What do you read when you wake up? You know, my grower is always sending me links. He, he's a researcher. He's a, he's a breeder. I mean, he's got some incredible genetics. So I'm constantly getting stuff pushed uh, that I read through. I mean, to me, it's really advantageous because it'd be harder for me to really find that stuff. So I read everything I can. I talk to a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people in this industry that you wouldn't really get any good information from. But there's <laughs> others that are, are really strong. Any keys for how to identify those people? Yeah, I, I think it's really, you know, there has to be a really good balance between business and growing practices. And I see kind of people that are skewed one way or the other, mm -hmm. and that's not a good combination. Mm. So we're going to have a very large scale operation. I've been reaching out to people in other states or mostly other states that kind of have those operations and kind of learn from them what's important as you scale. Got it. Um, the video on your website says that you had never consumed any cannabis in your life yeah. up, up until uh, starting this company. Has your relationship with it evolved at all? Has it changed these days? Yeah, you know, what I really like is the CBD side of it. I mean, mm -hmm. I had really problems, you know, sleeping. I was on Ambien. And now, I mean, it's I, last night, I had one of the best nights in a long time because I took some in my tea. Tinctures? Not, that's what you... CBD yeah, tinctures, full, full spectrum tinctures, and actually, we sometimes I take full spectrum crude, about the size of a grain of rice, but sixty five percent CBD. Wow, really, really helps you. Um, and talk about that side of the business. How, how has that evolved? I mean, it, it's really transformed a good part of the cannabis industry. What has that meant for you guys? The hemp side is really tricky. I mean, if you're a cultivator only, that market. Mostly it's gone down. I know it can go up and down, but there was really a glut. We're focused on doing things that can end up in products. So the full spectrum crude's a good one. The terpenes are good. We, my grower, JR, has some of the best CBD genetics out there. He has one strain that can test out at 76% terpenes. Mm. And typically that's high, mid to high 30s is about the best that's out there. Mm -hmm. So smokable hemp. At that type of terpene profiles, $500 a pound probably. So we're focused on that. We're working with a group on hemp cigarettes. We'll probably develop our own. Mm -hmm. But I, we're going to stay out of the massive cultivation side of it. Got it. Yeah. But you intend to build some brands on that side, or will they be yeah. golden seed branded? Uh, we don't know yet if we're going to brand them separately. Uh, you know, Canacraft has care by design, you know, so I don't, I don't really know the way we're going to go, but it's really important to us to have brands. I mean, you need lifestyle brands. And I think that really creates the enterprise value of a cannabis company. 
What goes yeah, into cool. that? I mean, that, that's something people talk about a lot, building a brand, particularly a lifestyle brand, right? That's kind of a, a buzzword. What, what does that mean for you guys? I mean, how, how do you build a brand? Uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, we kind of fell into it. We knew we always wanted to do it. But again, if you go back to regulatory inconsistencies, we had to grow two years ago, 40,000 square feet. That was approved by the state and it was approved by the local jurisdiction. But the letter of authorization that we gave to the state was for 1,500 square feet. But everyone signed off on our grow. We're, and the county had been out to our site. We were in our second harvest. They come up, take it all down back to 1,500 square feet. So we had about 500 pounds. And initially, we were just going to be a bulk uh, wholesaler. We had to move into the brand much earlier than we thought. And, you know, we're really banking on the California kind of art and surf culture that we think will play really well across the country and so you know i think if we go to our website i think we're doing a really good job of that you know people that have these cartoonish things or companies that are really business oriented have these really sterile brands and names yeah we're you know we have this thing where we we partner with brand ambassadors mike turn from green day we have some ex-nba players we got some people we're going to be announcing really soon but it's across the spectrum of movie stars, TV stars, you know, musicians, you know, people in the wine industry. And so we're tr really trying to build something that's culturally relevant across the lifestyle that we think will resonate with cannabis. I think that there's this move, or at least there was a good part of last year, that in order to build a big brand, you just have to throw a lot of money at it. And there's a lot of people that have raised a lot of money and I think wasted a lot of money, <laughs> spent a lot of money on music festivals and billboards and things that the ROI is very uncertain there. Um, what do you think of that? And, and what, how much money should be spent on marketing today? Is that 10%, 15%? You know, I think it's something people don't really know in this industry yet. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we've been bootstrapping, so we haven't had a very big marketing budget. And what we want to do or have been trying to do is really do that organically. But the Reg A, which really pays for itself, allows you to really get exposure. I mean, I've been on Bloomberg TV, not TV, but radio. I've been on Cheese TV. I've been in a lot of numerous, you know, national, international publications. Mm -hmm. And so it's given an exposure for our brand that we really haven't had to pay for. That's really kind of given us brand identity early on, in my opinion. People that spend a lot of money, the billboards, all that other stuff, I don't think that overcomes. You have to have a quality product and you have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what good is a billboard if you go in the dispensary and it's not there or not front and center? Uh, you know, no one's built any loyalty in this industry yet, or very little. Maybe there's a couple companies, you know, Kiva or something like that. But, um, well, this has been really fun. I do this thing at the end of shows where if you had to have a neon sign over your head all the time, follow you around, what would your neon sign say? I would say authentic. Love that. That's as good as any. Scott, it's been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us and being open and honest and good luck with the rest of the raise and everything. Well, I really appreciate it, Brendan. If I could just say one. Absolutely. Go ahead. If you're interested in uh, checking out the investment in Golden Seed, 
uh, go to owngoldenseed.com. If you want more information about Golden Seed, it's gseed.com. And take a look at us and check it out. You know, join the join the family of investors. And if you can get a hold of one, try the uh, terpene tip pre-roll. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. All right, Scott. Thanks again. See you Thank soon. You. Thank you. Bye now.